0: All right, if you will, you can turn in your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 4. Was there anything else I was supposed to do that I might be forgetting, Heather? You know how my mind is. Hebrews chapter 4. All right, let's all stand to our feet for the reading and the hearing of God's Word. I'm going to read Hebrews chapter 4, verses 6 through 13, which is the end of the chapter. We'll focus in on 6 through 10 and see how far we get. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day today But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. You may be seated. So as we move through this text today, I just want to uh, just pull some nuggets out of there uh, to uh, demonstrate what I feel like God is conveying through the apostle here in the letter to the Hebrews. I'm not going to spend a lot of time uh recounting what we've already uh learned from hebrews and from chapter four but suffice it to say that last time i was here with you we worked a little bit on what does it mean to rest what does it mean to enter into that rest that god has promised what does that look like and what does it look like uh the teaching that we found in hebrews chapter three that says these that were wandering in the wilderness, those that came beforehand, their disobedience was equated with unbelief. And because of their disobedience, because of their unbelief, they were unable to enter into God's rest. And so then he moves into chapter 4 and he says, while uh, the promise of God's rest remains, let us uh, examine ourselves, let us strive, let us enter into that rest. And so we, di- we distinguish between slave faith and child faith. We distinguish between works of self-preservation and ceasing from those self-preserving works and wholeheartedly trusting in the finished work of God. And, we, and the last point I'll just make on what we've looked at so far is really a revolutionary idea. It shouldn't be. But we are so trapped in a cultural mindset. We're so trapped in the thoughts of a sinful nature that it's hard to get out of that sometimes. Even when we've been born again, even when we've been given a new nature, we tend to start to, <clears throat> to go back. And we start to turn back to those previous methods that we have. And previously, you, you had no Christ, Right? So all you had was a pursuit after happiness, joy, fulfillment, basically rest. You had, all you had before Christ was an endless, uh, continual, burdensome, exhausting pursuit of something that you could not attain by your own works. It's just not attainable. And so what is the work then? All, the only thing that we can describe the work, we found in John chapter 6, verse 29, where Jesus tells those who are working for the physical things, he says, don't work for the bread that perishes, but work for the bread that endures to eternal life. Jesus is the bread that endures to eternal life. The, those following him go on to ask him, what is this work? What must we do to get this bread, to get this life? And Jesus then rightly says to them, defines uh, what must be done, and he says, this is the work of God that you believe in the one whom he has sent. Essentially what Jesus is saying is, there is nothing you can do, but God has done that which would bring about your eternal satisfaction, and that is through believing in the finished work that God has done. Now, moving out of that, let's move further into Hebrews chapter 4, and let's unpack a little bit about what, of what we just read uh, a moment ago. So, moving into verse 6, and, in the previous part of uh, verse 4, uh, we had talked about entering into that rest. We distinguished that this is not a, a maybe, it's not, you know... Th- you could possibly get some rest if you come to God. No, it was a promise. That's the, that's the beginning of chapter 4. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, uh, let us fear lest any of you should have seemed to have fallen short or failed to reach it. And so he moves through this idea that those who were disobedient, who did not have faith, and remember what we had, uh, how we had unpacked what their disobedience was. Their disobedience was not outright sin, as you and I might understand it, but it was them continually doing and working in, in, this, in this way that demonstrated the idea that they were responsible for their own salvation, that they were... Uh, that, that God couldn't be trusted, and if they wanted salvation, if they wanted food, if they wanted sustaining, if they wanted preserving, then it was something that they were going to have to do, because obviously God wasn't up to the task. That's why they always wanted to go back to Egypt, because they questioned whether or not they were going to have food or whatever. That's why they were always uh, gathering up too much manna because they weren't sure if God would provide the next day. That's why they sent the spies into the land and didn't go in the way that God told them to go in because, you know, God might not come through and these guys are really big. So it wasn't that they weren't doing anything, it was that they were doing too much. They were doing things because they wanted to make a way themselves instead of trusting God. In his way, so it wasn't that they lacked works; it was that they lacked the wrong, they lacked the right type of works. They, la- they lacked trusting in the uh, work in the proper place and the proper method, and that was to trust that God had actually done all the work and would do the work and would provide. So we move out of that idea into verse six, is where we find ourselves now, and the text says, "Since." Therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. <clears throat> uh, again, he appoints a certain day today, and he makes a big deal of that, uh, out of this idea of today, 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 and we talked about that a little bit already. Saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Now, I want you to just think about that really just just logically for a moment. Anytime we read this text, remember, anytime that you're having an idea, in that moment, it's always called today. If you you are reading that, in that moment, it is today. If I read this text, (coughs) today, if if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Every time I read that text, it's today. If I read that text tomorrow, well, tomorrow when I read it, I'll be reading it today. You understand that? And so I think the idea here is, is that as long as you're alive and you're breathing and you're making decisions and you're making choices and you're doing anything or you're reading, you're thinking you're, or whatever, there still remains an opportunity Opportunity for you to come and be filled full of and with Christ that you can finally cease all of your endless pursuits to gain satisfaction and to gain joy and to gain rest. That today, if you would only hear his voice and turn from your hardness, you could have rest. And so I plead with you in the same way. If you're here today, you could have been going to church for 30, 40, 50 years. And you may be exhausted of all of the work that you have done. And maybe, just maybe, this morning as you were getting ready, this morning as you were getting ready, you thought, another week. You know, I go to church every Sunday. I do everything. I pay my tithe. I I, I read my Bible every day. God Why is it, why do you have to make this so hard? What am I doing wrong? I would simply say it's all the doing that's wrong. That at some point, at some point, you have to come to the realization that all of your theological pursuits, all of your ministries, all of your attendance, all of your Bible reading, all of your attempts to satisfy God with all of your religious works are only working against you if you think that doing those things is what brings you closer to God in such a way that you are meeting requirements that God has set forth in order to have relationship with Him. That is not how it works. And that's why you feel exhausted. That's why it's not going your way because you are trying to appease a God with your self-serving, preserving works. And even though they're good things, I'm not saying those are wicked things. I'm saying that the motivations, the thoughts and intentions of your heart as we're going to see in the last part of chapter 4, they are found out. You can't hide those. You can't hide from God. You can hide them from me. But you can't hide them from the Lord. And you can't hide them from your own inner being. Because you know whether or not they're exhausting and burdensome. Or whether or not they are freeing. And they are uh, enlightening. And they are bringing joy to you. And so simply, if you're exhausted from having to continually meet the demands of God. Then I would suggest just stop that. And simply sit down breathe in and remember that you are not a slave to God if you're a believer you're a child of God and that his his interaction with you is not to be burdensome it is not to be a chore it is to be it is to be the greatest joy and what happens when you find all of your satisfaction in the finished work of Christ, then all of the exact same situations that were troublesome all of a sudden become an opportunity for you to demonstrate just how satisfied you are in God. So let's, let's work through this a little bit and let's, let's see how God is working here. So, Obviously, this sense and the therefore is pointing back to this reality that there still remains uh, an opportunity. There still remains a chance. There, the, the promise of entering God's rest, it's still there. It's still there. Now, now there, this promise, and this is very interesting to me, this promise exists in two different avenues and two different uh, directions, okay? So if you have a promise... That some will not enter. And we do have that promise in uh, the first part of chapter five. Actually, the verse right before that. It says, and again in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. That's verse 5. And up in verse 3, he says, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. He's saying here that this promise is, uh, is bidirectional. If you come to God and you cease from your self-preserving works and you wholeheartedly trust God... And lay down basically you die to yourself knowing that you can't save yourself you don't have life in yourself you can't preserve yourself all of your efforts even in doing supposedly good things is only bringing death upon you faster because you weren't made to preserve yourself as soon as you die to yourself you begin to live to God right because Christ is the only way that we can die to self or live to God And both of those happen simultaneously. If you lay down all of your fleshly pursuits and you simply trust in God's finished work, then that's it. You're completely fulfilled. And everything that happens after that is not a monotonous, burdensome task of completing assignments from God, but it is joyously running in the freedom of Christ. And there are works that come after that. But you don't even know their works because you're not working. You're just living. And God is working through you as he provides and supplies every need that you could possibly have. But the other side of that promise is that if you do not enter into that that promise in that way, then the promise is also promised in the other direction that he swore in his wrath. They shall not enter. Why? Is because... They are not trusting. They are not having faith. They do have, uh, they have a, a mental assent. I mean, obviously, they were there. They understood that God exists. They saw even the things. And if you think about the parable where those that stand before Jesus, there were two different types of people, two different types of words. There was the sheep and the goats. There was the faithful and the unfaithful. Well, the unfaithful had done all kinds of things, but they didn't know God. And the faithful had done all types of things, too. But because they knew God, they didn't even know they were working. Do you remember? God, Jesus looked at them and said, you visited me when I was in prison. You did all these things. And they said, when did we do any of that? Which goes to show you that living a life full in God, you don't even realize you're working. Evangelism is not something you do. It's just who you are. Uh, you know, gathering with the believers and 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 interacting and praying for one another and loving one another—it's not something you're checking off a list. It's something that you're giddy to get to because, man, I get to hang out with my brothers and sisters and we're going to worship God. It's not a work. It's just who you are. It's just what you love to do, right? It's where you find your satisfaction. You find your satisfaction in God. So, if all of that <coughs> is true. And this promise is multidirectional. I'll put it up here right quick. I just thought it might uh, be helpful to see it. Because this is the reality that we find ourselves in. So the promise is, is multidirectional. You either, uh, it's, he, he said he swore in his wrath that uh, they, and I think this is important, they uh, shall not or will not enter okay that's the promise and and I just tell you and maybe this is weird but your preacher your pastor is telling you that if 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 coming here if if doing all these things is wearing you out and it's burdensome to you then you need to stop doing that and you need to figure out what's going on in your relationship with god that is exhausting you, and you need to really do work with God. Now, I'm not telling you to stop coming to church because it's hurting you, but what I'm saying is, is that you really need to get alone with God and see what's going on in your relationship with God and, and how this thing that's supposed to be a delight and it's supposed to be a pleasure has become a burden. And examine your own heart to just check and to see, are you actually finding your satisfaction in Jesus Christ? Right? Or are you trying to appease an angry God? Right? And so there is this promise that they will not enter. And then on the other side, there is a promise that whoever, oh, that was bad. And this is on down, but this kind of clarifies it. If you look down real quick to verse 10, it says, For whoever has entered God's rest, has also rested from his works. And then up above that, just a little bit, it says, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. So whoever uh, enters in uh, is the people of God. And then the promise also includes that it remains. And that is always in the today. Today. Okay. So here's the promise: If you are seeking to preserve yourself, even by religious means, it's it's only going to end in judgment, exhaustion, and a continual pursuit after that which you cannot have, and that's a guarantee. This is part of the promise. Okay, that's part of the promise. You will not appease God. By anything that you do, your good actions, your morality, your church attendance, your Bible study, none of that. You will not appease God, and you will work yourself to death, and you will still be exhausted, and you will never be fulfilled. But the other side of that promise, and this is amazing, that if you'll just trust God, just trust God. Stop doing all of that for those reasons and for those intentions that we're going to see in Hebrews 4.12. Just trust God. Stop all of that. Get along with God and let the works that you work flow out of your interaction and love with Jesus, okay? Maybe some of you need to pull back, and I'm hesitant because we really need Kidwell workers. <laughs> but maybe, if you, maybe you need to pull back and get along with God. Go into the woods somewhere. Go into a closet. Go up on a mountain. Do business with God. Get along with God. Be honest with God. Be real with God. And tell God where he's let you down. Tell God where he's failed you. Uh, Scream at God. Where are you? Where are you? Spend some time. Whatever needs to be done, get alone with God. Do business with God. Ask him to show you where you're failing. Ask him to reveal the intentions of your heart so that you won't even be fooled by yourself. Remember the first part of chapter 3. It says, examine your hearts lest there be any evil heart in you that you are not. And and it says, gather together uh, uh, consistently so that uh, you can encourage one another so that you're not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It's really easy to deceive ourselves, right? Man, I know I've fallen into this trap. I've fallen into it with my theological pursuits and studies. I, I get so wrapped up sometimes in studying all the isms and, and all of this stuff, and I think that I'm doing this good work that's good for me and beneficial for me. And I love theology. There's nothing wrong with theology. But I promise you, as I stand here before you today, I admit, I confess that there have been times where I have been on such a hard-line pursuit of theological accuracy that I left God somewhere way back there. And it dried me up. And I I knew all of these things. But I had forgotten what the one thing that that mattered was about. And all of that does is dry you up. It's exhausting. And so theological pursuit without the loving embrace and walking hand in hand with the Spirit is meaningless and it's draining. But theological pursuit with a Hand in hand, walking in the spirit and not according to the flesh is beautiful. And instead of just some knowledge that you have, it is greater and better ways to really worship and appreciate God who you're sitting with and loving. That's when theology becomes more than a mental pursuit or exercise, and that's when it's beautiful. That's just some of my pursuits. There's many more. It may be something different for you. It may be helping at the shelter. It may be helping at the abortion clinic. It may be helping with Good News Club at school or, you know, uh, filling up the uh, blessings box with food, whatever it might be. If this is done... Because you're trying to appease an angry God, then it's not going to work. And you're going to just dig further in the hole of the promise that you can't make it on your own. It must be the work of God. And you come into it and rest. Now, I need to move away from that. Uh, It remains for some. i got to really move because I want to get to this other part. Two words. All right. Since, therefore, it remains uh, (laughs) for some to enter it. What time is it? Don't tell me. For it remains for some. Okay, here's why I was telling you that the they uh, right here matters. Okay? Now, he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. He now shows the other side of the promise, since therefore it remains for some to enter. Okay? Now, we have they, so there are some. There's a them. Right? That they will not enter it. It's guaranteed. Okay? They have made their bed. Now, they're laying in it. Okay? It's done. And there also remains today those who are up in the air. Okay? They, you, you, there are some of you out there. I know they are. Some of you are they, or will be they, when they is past tense, because it's too late, because it's not today. That didn't even make no sense. It's okay, let's move forward. (laughs) My whole point is, is that there's some of you in this room that have already entered into God's rest. And and now, a lot of commentators, they think and they interpret the rest in Hebrews chapter 4 as a future expectation of a heavenly rest where we can finally enjoy Christ. Now, I have zero doubt that that is included in this. Zero doubt. That when we stand before God and, and the... Everything is found out, everything is revealed, the judgment happens, the goats are cast, the sheep are brought in, that we will finally and fully experience rest like we've never experienced it before. I I agree with that wholeheartedly. But I'm afraid that some have missed that this rest is not just a future anticipatory promise, but it is a present reality for those who have trusted in Christ. In other words, this is not something that you are waiting on. This is something that is already not yet. Okay? It's already happened. So, I said all of that to say there's some in this room you've already entered into God's rest and you're enjoying the the first fruits of it now. Is that you look weird to the world. You're just a freak. And I say that because, yeah, you love Jesus. You're weird. You're 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 praising, going down the road, right? Somebody flicks you off, and you give them a thumb. You know, Jesus loves you, bro. And you're just weird, right? And even when times get tough, and people know it, you lose a job. You know, you you have you have a re- reaction to it. But but the, but the reaction is, hey, God's got me. We're okay. We're okay. You know, if I lose my house, we're going to be okay. Right? I love camping. You know? And how does that happen? It's because if Christ really has satisfied the wrath of God, if Christ really has not just made you even with the house by paying for a past sin debt, but He has imp- not only was our sinfulness imparted and imp- imputed to Christ, But upon the great exchange, the righteousness of Christ was also imputed to us. Meaning, he became sin, and we became righteousness. Which is that when when you come into Christ, and when you come into rest, and when your sin is paid for, you are not just made even with the house, and now you better do what you need to do to build favor with God. No, that you, in being imputed with righteousness, are Covered in, clothed with, seen by God in the exact same way as if you were doing the things that Christ not only did but is currently doing. And this is the reality that you are not made even with the house and now you better get on it, boy, but that you have been by faith through grace, by grace through faith, you have been seated, past tense heiress in the heavenlies with Christ. And that you right now are interacting with God as if your life is the life of Christ. His righteousness is your righteousness. And so we are living in that now. So some of you are have already broken into that. Now there's another group in here that are on the fence. And some of you are back in that Hebrews chapter 3 place and you've actually been sitting here <clears throat> or maybe you're visiting today. Maybe you've been here for a couple of weeks and you've been somewhere else. And you've convinced yourself that you're fine because, and we're going to get into this in a minute, if I don't run out of time, it's 20 minutes ago, that <laughs> your parents' faith, your parents' membership... Your membership, your church attendance has secured you a place in the economy of God. And what you fail to realize is is that you are still trusting in your own works in order to bring about the salvation that's needed. And you are blinded and hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And I am here as God's messenger just... Trying to exegete the word, to unpack the scriptures, to show you the scriptures that would say, open your eyes, open your eyes. You know, and, and the Bible's going to say in Hebrews chapter 4 that it's, it's not me, that it's the Bible that's penetrating you. And so some of you out there right now, you are religious and you are, you've worked and worked and worked and you're like, Brandon, I want to know that rest. I want to know that joy. I want to know that peace. I want to know all those things. And I'm working as hard as I can to get it, but it won't seem to ever come. What's going on? And I'm here saying that you have to stop working in order to receive the due of your work. And you must rest and die to self and just consume the glory of God. And just eat freely of the bread. It doesn't cost anything. The Bible tells us in the Old Testament that, that we should come and drink freely. That we should eat. We won't have to buy it. It's there. Take it. And we're working, 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 working. And we're not realizing that it just doesn't work that way. Those who formerly received the good news failed to enter. Why? Because of disobedience. It's going to even clarify further. <clears throat> again, he points a certain uh, day today. I don't, I don't have to do that again. I already said it. Saying through David so long afterward in the words uh, already quoted today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Do you hear the voice of God today speaking through the messenger, through the word of God, through the spirit, whispering to your own heart right now? That's you. That's you. And you should say to yourself, not to your neighbor, is that me? Is that me? You know. You know. Now, you don't want to admit it. Because it may be embarrassing to admit that you've been in church for 20 years or 20 weeks. And you've done all these things. And you're like, hey, I'm good. How humiliating. The devil makes it seem to have been in church for 20 years. And then all of a sudden say, I've been waiting on my check and it never came. But now I realize that it's not. That I can't work my way in. And I am, today, I heard his voice. And I'm going to finally go, oh, man. About time. Let's rest. All right, let's get to the rest. (laughs) We got another hour and 15 minutes, my man says. All right, praise the Lord. All right, okay, so verses 8 through 10. This is going to really give us some insight, I think. This is really super exciting. Hang on. Oh, man, we're on, okay, this is the last one. Hey, we're doing good. <laughs> All right, listen. For if Joshua, now, now see how this transitions in. He's saying, look, there's still, <clears throat> there still is this chance the, the, the promise is bi-directional, right? There's two directions that this promise is like a, it's like a uh, an anchor, right? It's, it's, a, it's a pin in the ground. You can, you can do it either way, right? You can trust God and stop all that working, stop all that proving, stop all that doing and just finally sit down, take a break, chill bro. you know? And just enjoy, right? Enjoy. Or you can go the other way, and you can slave yourself right to death and never find it. I mean, it doesn't seem like a difficult choice, does it? But yet it's so hard so many times. It's so weird, right? So he's like, "There's okay, so today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And then he leads into this. He says, for, because, if Joshua, oh, you joker, if Joshua had given them rest, now, this is going to be very interesting, I don't have a ton of time to to kind of unpack it all right here, but what he's going to do is, he's going to do this several times throughout the book of Hebrews, you've got to remember the audience, the audience, and this brings it all in perspective, Hebrews has been one of the most helpful studies that I've done yet. This starts to bring it all into perspective. So remember, he's speaking to a Jewish audience that had almost certainly become Christians, and now they were starting to lean back to the old ways of Judaism or having thoughts of going back to Judaism, which was which was in the Mosaic Covenant, which was a uh, covenant of works. And that covenant of works was was established in order to plainly show everyone that salvation could not happen the law could not be met the rest could not come through the physical reality in which they found themselves the external law could not save the, the DNA of national ethnic Israel provided no eternal salvation that only has ever come by grace Through faith in Jesus. Now, they might might not have known Jesus' name then, but the gospel was there, and they could have faith, and they would be credited with righteousness that would eventually be established by Jesus Christ, who is the righteousness, okay? So, what he's going to do here, and all throughout the book, he is going to lean back into this to show these Jews who are starting to think that they need to go back to work in a whole bunch to appease God. And he's going to say, remember, remember, those things were types. They were shadows. They were demonstrations to point you to the reality Those, being a nation in the land of Canaan, going into the promised land, thinking that you were going to get rest in the promised land, the physical land, it was, you were never going to find that kind of rest in that land. That rest was always and only in the presence and faithful, loving kindness of God and God alone. That's it. That's what he's going to say here. If Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day. He was, in other words, if Joshua and the land of Canaan, the, the taking of the land of Canaan, the promised land, establishing the nation of Israel, the Mosaic covenant, the law code, and all of that, if that's what being God's people was actually, literally, Uh, ultimately about, then there wouldn't have needed to be anything else because all you would have to do is proselyte all the Gentiles, make proselytes out of all the Gentiles, teach them to keep God's commands, bring them into the commonwealth of Israel by uh, uh, by making them proselytes, and then you could continue on in that way. But that was not what the rest was about. That was to demonstrate what Jesus Christ would do and who Jesus Christ would be, that he would be the rest. Jesus Christ is the place that we need to go in order to find rest. That's what he's saying here, is that if Joshua had been able to give them rest, if establishing a nation, if being an Israelite, if that's what it was about. Now, don't get me wrong. All of that stuff is massively important. And all of that stuff is crucial to understand and to read and to learn from. And all of those are beautiful. And there's lots of those realities that we still find pressing upon us today. One, namely, is the fact that the Israelites were hardened for a season in order that salvation might come through the Messiah to the Gentiles. But it doesn't stop there is that the gentiles in their salvific relationship with the savior are to live with God in the unity and the flowing love and faithfulness and freedom that Israel never had not the vast majority did majority didn't anyway it was all a burden to them it was they were writing laws on top of laws extra laws More laws in order to make sure they didn't make God angry. And it was never about that. It was all about trusting God and loving God and fulfilling the law from the internal relationship and walking and intimacy that you had with God. And now the Savior comes, redeems the Gentile uh, nasty filthy rotten scoundrels and lovingly brings them in and, and lifts them up and we are to live as light in a dark world and a lot of that dark world are the Israelites that have been hardened by the deceitfulness of sin and as they see us interact and as we love them God is rescuing them and grafting them back in. Is that he is loving them and drawing them unto himself and how beautiful it is to see those Messianic Jews, those Jews who have have recognized Jesus as Messiah and they have recognized and they know the, the law and the traditions and they are so beautiful at being able to see Jesus as the demonstration as the fulfillment rather of all of these beautiful traditions and teachings and laws that Christ and his exaltation is what all of it was about. It's so beautiful. And so I don't want to degrade or suggest that, you know, there's nothing significant about land or nationalities or DNA, uh, bloodline. I'm not saying that there's nothing important about that. What I'm saying is that all of that existed for the primary purpose of pointing to him. The Messiah who would come and who would be true Israel. Who would be the sacrifice that, that, that purified us from sins once for all? Who would be the tabernacle? Who tabernacled among us? Who would put on God coming down and putting on skin? That's literally what tabernacle means. John chapter 1, it says he came and dwelt among us. It literally says he came and tabernacled among us. In the Old Testament, the tabernacle was a, uh, a, a skin Dwelling a skin-covered tent where the presence of God dwelt. Jesus is the skin tent where God dwelt. He took on human flesh. Jesus, it's all about Jesus. I did not mean to spend 20 minutes on that, but I mean, I'm talking about Jesus, right? So, and then God would not have spoken of another day later on. So here he says, it still remains because it wasn't completed then. It wasn't, about, it wasn't about that land. He's going to go on to say later that, that Abraham wasn't looking for a, a land here. He, he was looking for a heavenly land. He was looking for a heavenly city. He wasn't looking for this. He was looking for a... And Jesus said, Abraham longed to see my day and was glad. How many of you are glad that you know Jesus? Huh? Yeah, let me get southern for just a minute. How many of you know the Lord Jesus, right? That's what I feel like sometimes. You know what I'm saying, Brother Dan? I feel like Jesus is the most amazing thing. And the fact that Hebrews is helping me to see that... Even when I mess up, even when I'm not doing it right, God still loves me. What is amazing about that is when you come to the realization that it's not dependent on what you do or how you do it, what it does is is it makes you want to do even more. It makes you long to love Jesus in all of these ways. And it makes it to where when you do mess up, you realize that the work didn't gain any credit, so you don't lose any credit because nothing that you have was based on that work. And so at the end of the day, nothing gained, nothing lost, on to the next way to love Jesus and display His righteousness to the world. Amen? I'll give you another indication. The next time you miss a day reading your Bible and you feel like a human turd. Can I say turd? I don't think I'm supposed to say turd. The next time you lose a day or miss a day or forget Right, I got you, I got you version on my phone now. It's continually reminding me, oh, your streak's over. (laughs) I find myself getting up in the morning, swinging you version open, looking at it for two seconds, got my streak. Streak is still alive, right? How stupid is that? Anyway, that was a rabbit I just chased, but what was I saying? What was I saying for real, because it was good, I thought. Y'all like 18 people talking at one time. What? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you miss a day of reading the Bible, here's an indication and, and, a, and a way to examine, right? If you miss a day reading your Bible, and then when you realize you missed a day reading your Bible, that you feel like you can't read your Bible today because you missed it yesterday is a really good indication that you thought that yesterday's Bible reading gained you credit and favor so that you were worthy to read it today. And so that is a really good way to examine your heart to see whether or not you're reading the Bible to strong arm God into blessing you or you're just reading it because you loved him. And you forgot about it yesterday, but no harm, no foul. I'm really going to read it a lot today. Not because I'm making up, but because I'm making love. That was good. I just thought of that. I thought that was pretty good. And that's really what it is, though. Like, you know, yeah, that was funny, but that's the way it really is. You thought I, I look at my wife sometimes, I'm like, what's up? You know? Man, if some, if some of you jokers will look at God like y'all look at your wives, or some of y'all jokers need to look at God like you look at that other woman walking down the road, and I ain't going to talk about that. <laughs> but imagine if we looked at God like that we're like, how How you doing? You know, you get, along with your, you get along with your Bible, like some of y'all, now you got the internet, but some of y'all remember the magazines. You had pages to turn. But you like get up. Think about it. Think, I want you to think about it. You think it's funny, but you just think about it, right? When you when you had the magazine, you didn't have the internet. Even with the internet, you know, you like sneak off with the phone, you're like. You know, if y'all loved the Bible and it got you off like you do porn, man, we would, this world would be rock. I said it. I said it. We can say it however you want to. If some of you got off on the Bible like you do Clemson Tigers, <laughs> the second coming would have already been, and nobody would have been here to die. Because if we was as excited about God as we were about college football, every one of y'all have a pain in the face, a cross right there, right now. And when you walked into church this morning, right? I'm going to expect you to have a cross on your face next Sunday, man. <laughs> you said we get painted up, man. We get excited and stoked, man. We're jumping around in our living room like a bunch of idiots. But, but, I know some people who are straight up in love with God. And they are well, weird. <laughs> I know, I'm serious. They are weird, right? And I, I think I love Jesus, I'm looking at these people, I'm like, bro, I don't know about that, <laughs> you know, but, but just think, you know, when you get into God's words, is it like, whew, man, you know, okay, I need to move on, because there's one other thing I want to share with you, so then, there remains, it's, it's there, guys, and everything I'm talking to you about, it's not way out there somewhere, I promise, and I'm trying to tap into this too, right, Chris? Justin, you know, I'm I'm trying to, I'm trying to tap into this, Heath. I'm trying to get to that place, like, where it's just, it's just fun. It's just fun. Now, now I'm not, I don't mean that Christianity is just like all like, you know, no, but, but it's like. I I just want God. I love God. And even when the hard times come, the joy that is so rich and so deep and so good and so full and so big and so wide, that it overshadows the pain. And even when I wince and even when it hurts, it's like, but my God's better. Oh, you can take my life, right? That's so good. It remains. It's there. And the last thing I want to talk about is the Sabbath, okay? Okay? Because I think we have a misunderstanding of the Sabbath so bad. So he said, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Now that's only for the people of God. And I know you've heard it said that we're all children of God. That's a lie straight from the pits of hell. No, we're not all children of God. There are children of God who have come to be born again into the family of God as infants and babes of the faith through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Those are the children of God. Everybody else is a child of Satan. Jesus looked at the Pharisees, and he said, your father is the devil. And they were like, hold up. What? Yeah, Jesus told them. Your father is the father of lies, because that's all you do, and you look just like your daddy. Basically, Jesus said, the apple don't fall far from the tree. He's the father of lies, and you little you little kids are that liar, right? That's what he's saying. You're ch- We're not all children of God. The rest only remains for the people of God. But what does that rest look like? Well, we've talked about it a bunch. Let me finish it with this, because I thought this was really cool. It blessed my heart. For <coughs> whoever has entered... God's rest has also rested from his works. Now here's the key here's the verse I want to key in on. As so this is a comparison. So <clears throat> so the people of God who trust God, put all their faith in God, they understand that God has done the work. They're just resting in it. Those are the people of God and when they enter into rest trusting in the work of God, then they also rest. They've also, and I thought this was cool, but this is a side note. They rested. They rested. What, what is that called? Past tense. This is a reality, okay? This is a reality of those who are people of God. When they trust God, they've rested. They all, they, uh, God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So they've entered, okay? They've entered and they've rested. Okay, that's a past tense. So it's begun, and it's a already, but not quite yet. Okay, so we're enjoying it now. That's not what I want to point out. I like this. As God did from his. Now, I, I, I wrote this down because I wanted <coughs> to make sure that I covered it all. Uh, and you can come on up and start playing. I'll, I'll be done here in like 20 minutes. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Hmm. Okay, now, I want to say just a couple of things that I've got in notes here so I know I don't miss it, and then we'll just talk for a second. <coughs> Sabbath, n- listen to me. <coughs> I know what we think about Sabbath. If, well, if you've read much of any of the Old Testament or New Testament, we think about Sabbath as this, <coughs> this uh, hard and fast uh, sledgehammer that smashes the junk out of everybody, right? And, and you, <coughs> And it's not just Jews, like, um, the Sabbatarians, there's Christians that are Sabbatarians, and they are like, man, they are they are steadfast, hard. You better not even blink more than eight times or you're working on the Sabbath, right? It's like, and you write all these extra rules as as fences and guards to keep you from breaking, and you're working super hard in order not to, and it's like this burden. At least that's what it appears for me from the outside. But Sabbath was never supposed to be like that. Sabbath actually comes... From the word that, that means the seventh, the the rest. It, it, it's, it's this idea of doing all of the work. And then when you're finished with the work. That you sit down and enjoy the fruits of your labor. The Sabbath was never ever supposed to be a burden. <laughs> that, is, that, is, that is what the world, that's what flesh has done to it. Sabbath is a burden no, it's never meant, that's silly that's opposite, that's exactly opposite, that the Sabbath was supposed to be the day and the time in which you got done with the work and you were like, ah, and remember what God said, he's like it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good it is good, it is very good and then after he said, look at all this good work I've done and he sits down and he's like pretty good pretty good six days work right and he enjoys it interacts with Adam and he's him and Adam's like you know they're naming that you know, you know they, they did all and now he's just enjoying it. but the work didn't end see we have this idea that the Sabbath is the completion of all works no the Sabbath is not it is let me say it this way I, I need to just get it all out Sabbath was never about how perfect you were at not working Sabbath was always about enjoying the fruits of your labor think about this example of the resting on the seventh day and this is the example that Hebrews gave us was that uh, when God had finished his work he, he was finished and he rested on the seventh day which is the work of creation Okay, that's in the beginning in Genesis the work of creation but was his work uh, was was his work did his works cease altogether? I would say no, because he worked in the six days and he rested and started what we would now consider or what the Bible would call works, but it's not really works. That's why this is so hard to wrap your mind around. Because see, James says that. Faith without works is dead. So then it's necessary that we have works in order to prove our faith. So the Bible does say that that works need to continue. But it's kind of hard to wrap our minds around it because that concept of work is not the same as the other. And we've already defined those, so I don't need to do that. We're talking about slave work and child work. We're talking about work to earn, and we're talking about work that issues and flows forth from supply. So it's this type of works I think we should just for our own clarification not that the Bible shouldn't call out that, that works, but that we would understand it better as fruit that we would understand it better as uh, enjoyment that we would understand it better as the product of the work that God has done so God has done a work and then he is working in us to bring forth the enjoyment of all the work that is already completed but I would say that this this happens in two ways so when we see the work in six days I'm going somewhere with this just please hang tight for a second who's still with me I know y'all's stomachs are rumbling but hold on what was the work that was finished okay let's go back to the creative event okay what was the work that was finished if you remember when God started creating what he was doing in the six days that that work was finished he was organizing and he was bringing into harmony the chaotic reality that existed. Okay? So you had this, this land and water and you know, whatever it was. And, and he started to arrange it. He, made, he separated the... the, the the water from the sky. He separated the land from the waters, and he separated from the land of sky. He 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 created the animals, and he he made some to, to 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 swim in the water. He made some to fly in the air. He made some to crawl, and he made some to run, and he made some to walk. And it was just he was taking all of this random, chaotic, uh, death mess nothingness, and he was he was harmonizing. And he was, or I just see him as a a symphony director. What do you call him? A conductor. He was a conductor. And he's putting things where they're supposed to go. Right? You remember I told you what this is called in Scripture, right? This is what shalom means in Scripture. We think it's called peace, and it means peace. But shalom actually means the interwoven or perfect harmony in which all of creation flows. Right? Right? and that's what God is doing in his work that in the six days of work he's organizing and he's arranging and he's giving flow to it right and when he gets done organizing the chaos he says yeah and he's just I just and I think music is very beautiful demonstration of this so I just see God putting things where they go and he looks at it he's like yeah that's." Yeah, that's good, that's good, right? You ever been doing something, Heath, you know, maybe laying some tiles, and you're like, fits perfect, and you're like, I can't believe that fit, like I cut it. And you're like, yeah, that's good, right? Because the lines are just, whew, poo, poo. An artist can do this, right? And it's beautiful. And when you get done with that, you stand back, and it's like you're looking at this masterpiece, and you just took these different color oils that were just, in the container, you got them on your brush, you said, this is supposed to go here, right? And you stand back and you go, wow, that's what God did. But when he organized the chaos, it was done. And then he sat down on the seventh day and he enjoyed his masterpiece. Right? But the work, the interaction, continued past that. Because he was with Adam. And he was talking to Adam about what he could enjoy. And he could enjoy what? He could enjoy what? All of that. So it's work to grab a, let's not say apple. It's work to grab a peach. Right? And to bite in, it's work to open your mouth and to bite into this, this oh, this luscious peach. And it just goes all over down your mouth, and the flavor is everywhere, and it's like in the garden flavor, right? No pesticides, <laughs> nothing like, you know, it's just like, and it's so juicy. It's just like, man, you know, you just ate that peach, and you're like, oh, man, you know? And, and it was like, it was good, right? And, and I can just see, you know, them interacting in that way. But then what happened? So Adam was, I don't know for how long, but but Adam got to enjoy his wife. You know, he sang her that beautiful song, you know, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And I just see this perfect, before sin entered, this perfect, harmonious, rhythmic piece. Does your, uh, let me ask you, people of God, listen to me for a second. I know it's getting late. I want you to listen to me. I'm, I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to really, really think about this. Some of you have come to the place where you see your Christianity, you see your relationship with God in this performance of tasks in order to not get in a a bad spot with God. Let me ask you this. Are you living in, and, and do you understand the concept that that is a million miles from what it's supposed to be? And that your relationship with God should be more like a perfectly harmonious melody that's singing in the background, and you're just dancing with the Savior. You're just floating through life, and you're so captivated by Him. As you gaze into His eyes, the whole world melts away, like as you would be maybe dancing with your husband or dancing with your wife, and in that odd, romantic moment to where you, the mortgage is due and the car payment is due, and there's a flat on the four wheeler, and the, the molding's coming off in the bedroom. But that moment strikes right, and you, you, you're hugging her and you're embracing her. And, and some, you know, you put some music on, and, and you just fall away into each other's embrace, into, into the gazing of this woman that you love. And maybe you start to dance. Am I being too romantic? Y'all should do this, babe. We should dance more. And as you're dancing, the music overtakes you. All of the melody. You see, how, how See, we can tell if he screws up. Am I sp- I'm not supposed to say that, am I? We can tell when he gets out of uh, uh, balance or rhythm or whatever. Why? It be- it's because that's chaos. This isn't chaos. This is beautiful. And you get so lost in each other that you can't even, you couldn't remember that, nor do you want to. You're just in love that's Christianity now as God did from his so we rest from ours let me point this out to you God beautifully organized in the sixth day seventh day comes he just enjoys his creation with his creation sin comes into the world rips it back into chaos everything spins back out of control Jesus comes to do the six day work again Jesus Christ in the new creation reorganizes the chaos he brings order back to what was broken he rearranges you in such a way that you are in harmonious perfect balance with him and his six-day work of new creation results in you and he being harmoniously intertwined forevermore Christ's work in the believer is identical to the creative work in the garden with one exception the redemptive work of Christ in the formation of the new creation interweaves everlasting shalom into the heart of the believer by transitioning from the spirit hovering over head outside like it was Genesis by transitioning from the spirit hovering over creation to dwelling in the inner being of those who believe the work of the new creation belongs solely to Christ and believers are to live out the entirety of their their existence enjoying the fruitful reality of being one with the true vine your Christianity should be a beautiful dance moving and swaying with the creator lost in his eyes because he has established peace to a level that could never be understood in a million years elsewhere let's all stand to our feet I know it's late but I want to give you an opportunity there is no way there is no way and I say that with full confidence that everyone in this room is interacting and dancing with Jesus moving and vibing and resting in Jesus on the level that I that I have just explained there's no way that every one of you are in that place and there is bound to be one or two or more who have gotten wrapped up and trapped in the idea that God is a taskmaster and he is keeping track of your Goods and your bads and the works and the failures to work and that you've got a lot of catching up to do and you are so weary of that it is such a burden and what I have just described of flowing with a God who loves you and has made a way where there seems no way and nobody can ever take it away and you can finally breathe a sigh of relief and fall into his arms start to live instead of working if that's you then come come to the Savior who has made a way today, today today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts as they did in the days of old but come unto the Savior who has done the work to bring eternal rest and peace and he will give you rest come and do business with god please